Our text today is 1 John chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And as you turn to 1 John and, uh, and get your place there, I just want to ask, um, have you ever had some things that you, you've known to be true, you, you thought so certainly it was true, and um, you put your stock in it, you, you think through it, and uh, you even apply yourself to it, and then you discover that it really just didn't work out. It just kind of failed you. Um, I know I've had that experience many a times throughout my life, and, uh, and, and that is something that John, the apostle, is, is connecting us with here. Um, he's helping us to see that in this passage, uh, the very last two verses of his first letter out of his three letters in the New Testament, um, he, he's, he's telling us what is true in order to help us keep from misplacing our trust in unworthy things. And so let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray for a second. Lord, this is your word and your word is truth, and we thank you uh, for it. And we ask now that you would help us uh, to see the Lord Jesus high and lifted up, Lord, that we would see your wisdom and your ways, and Lord, that we would see that you are our God and we're your people. Apply this text to our, our lives and help us, Lord, to walk in it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I remember when... I was younger. I was probably 12, maybe 13. There was a boy that moved into our neighborhood just a few houses up the street. We had this big old hill that went up. And uh, and one thing I noticed is he, he was a fast little guy. I, I was probably 12 or 13. He was probably around nine, maybe 10. I think maybe 10. And uh, I remember we'd see him and he was a he was a fast little runner. We'd all be out there playing, hanging out. He was a fast little guy. And I had just been given these new shoes that I had seen on commercials and the commercials prom. I mean, they, they, they showed like how fast you would be running. Like, you know, of course they're, they're showing like these, these fast speedy shoes. And I thought, oh, this is it. Um, I wasn't naturally athletic to begin with, but I thought, oh yeah. Uh, if I had these shoes in which I did, I finally got these shoes. I thought I am, I am totally going to challenge this kid to a race in front of all the neighborhood crew and uh and i'm going to show them why this is this is my street and um and so with friends watching on looking down at his worn out kids kind of snickering in my own mind we heard the cue go and i closed my eyes and just started running down that hill as fast as i could giving it all i had opened my eyes and I see this little guy and he's moved way ahead of me, crossing that finish line long before I did. And I stood there at the end and I just, I was confused. I was angry. I was embarrassed. Some of the guys on the street were heckling. And uh, I couldn't understand why my shoes didn't work like I believed they would. I couldn't understand that, that everything I, I had placed into these things 
they, they failed me. I later learned that this kid had been running track for over a year and uh, he had been training and he had been taught that uh, certain ways of running when you're sprinting help you to move faster, like not completely laying your heels down, maybe just running on the on the tips of your your feet, the, the tiptoes of your feet. Um, he understood about running what he understood about running was true. Um, what I thought was true was based on nothing but marketing hype. I trusted in the wrong sources for truth and wound up trusting the wrong things for victory and status. So here in this text, John is actually telling us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to give us understanding of what is true so that we don't have to continue serving idols. Without knowing what's true, we are so prone to believe just about anything and trust in things that ultimately leave us unfulfilled and insecure. We long for authenticity. We long to be able to trust someone or something greater than and more powerful than ourselves. And in fact, we were created to do just that. But that trust was intended to be placed on our creator and we know that something went wrong. Now, I know how often I've felt the disappointment of hurt and shame of placing too much trust in something or someone that was never intended to have that kind of dependency or power. And I'm sure many of you do too. So in the context of this letter, we need to see that John is actually addressing Gentile, Christian, and Jewish believers who are starting to grow in community together in the churches around Ephesus. And that's where John was actually uh, serving as sort of an elder and an overseer, um, sort of like a bishop at that time. In the cultural setting, there were people who were also going around teaching falsely about Christ. And most people were also trusting in multiple gods. Uh, there was material wealth that they were putting their trust in. The ruling government for knowledge, hope, security, and even eternity. They trusted in and served the various idols of their religion um, and region because they, that's, that's what they knew to be true. With so many competing voices claiming to be true, they needed a way to discover life. They needed help turning from and trusting uh, from trusting these things. And so do we. So as we enter into this new year, that's one of the things that I was thinking through with this message is um, going into the new year, what sort of things do we drag from one year into the next? As we look ahead into a new year ahead of us, and especially in moments like this where I, I know for me personally, um, I didn't expect uh, the new year to start out this way. Um, certainly wasn't imagining that uh, this this uh, sermon would be preached online, but um, but it's where we are. And the fact is, we are finite. We're so limited in what we know, what we see. We're not omniscient. We don't know all. We're not omnipotent. We're not all powerful, but we know the God who is. And that's exactly who John points us to in this letter. So there's three main points I want to I want to hit on that, that I think John is addressing in the first verse in verse 20. And then he just kind of rounds it out with a quick final charge in verse 21. Main points are number one, we know that Jesus gives us understanding about what is true. Number two is we know that Jesus gives us a true identity. 
And number three is we know that Jesus alone gives us true life, and that life is eternal. So let's look at the first main point. We know that Jesus gives us understanding about what is true. And we know, here's verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come. It's given us understanding. Understanding about what? Well, he goes in to say what is true about knowing God. John's teaching this community of believers that in order to have a true understanding and knowledge of God and keep themselves from trusting idols, they must look to Jesus. And so must we. Throughout verse 20, John repeatedly uses the word true. We can often assume a great deal about what we know to be true. Today, we have the Internet. Uh, We have Google. We have Siri. We have Alexa. And uh, we feel like we can know just about anything at any moment. Uh, The news presents us with with things so that we know. And uh, quite often, they may have two or more versions of the same true story on any given day. And although we have access to all sorts of information about things, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all true. But notice who the writer of this letter is. It's John, the beloved apostle who personally walked with Jesus. He was a firsthand eyewitness to Jesus' miracles, such as the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead in Luke 8.51. He was present at Jesus' trial, crucifixion, and was one of the first to personally see the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. When John speaks of what he knows and understands is true, it comes with the authority of a close disciple and friend of Jesus. And so we should listen. However, he doesn't just leave it to his own authority. He also is sure to remind us who this Jesus was. He was the son of God. He came down from heaven, sent by God the Father himself, Now, that's real authority. Let me illustrate this point real quick. I really enjoy cooking. If I wasn't going into ministry, more than likely I would be going into like the culinary arts and going to a school for culinary. I just love food, number one, but I enjoy being in the kitchen. Um, I love cutting up things and making a mess. I know Marcy probably uh, does not appreciate the messes that I make in the kitchen, Um, but I do enjoy cooking. And I come from a family where the the passing down of recipes uh, comes through sight, smell, taste, and minimal use of measuring tools. Uh, It's just kind of part of our heritage. And so um, I feel like for the most part, I know and understand how to combine ingredients to make some pretty good food. However, I'll admit there are some surprises from time to time. Perhaps I skipped a step or I forgot to do this and I throw this in or I do this at this point and it changes the consistency of the of the dish it doesn't quite turn out the same sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing um and and so when i think about knowing what it is to cook to really know how to make food well and make it consistently um i i sometimes will uh try and branch out and I try to do things in a way that uh, that move me into other forms of food and uh, and other regional foods. Um, But I realize I'm limited in my knowledge. And what really helps me to realize my limitation is when I turn on a cooking show or I look up a video on a major cooking site where the chef not only nails the recipe, but he or she can explain how and why a recipe results, uh, the results can change. 
if certain steps aren't followed. I'm using the same ingredients they are. They just have a true understanding and knowledge of how to bring those ingredients together consistently well. How do they know this? Well, they know and understand this because they've been taught by a master chef. The master chef has shown them what's true about the culinary arts. So they understand and know the difference between a true authentic dish and a knockoff recipe. Furthermore, the master chef not only instructs them in what to do, but actually models it for them, coaching them along the way as they learn to serve up food that faithfully represents what's truly authentic while reflecting well on that master chef. John the apostle learned directly from Jesus, the master chef of heaven, who not only knows all the best recipes for life, but he is also the main ingredient. John calls the believers gathered in and around Ephesus to not be deceived by the falsehood of idols, by the old customs and beliefs that they've been accustomed to. Whether these idols are introduced by others or have come from their own hearts and imagination, he calls them to see that Jesus has come to give them understanding, to know the one who's true and who sets them free from serving idols. So just like those to whom John's speaking to, we all have places where we lack true understanding to know all sorts of things. Without an understanding of what's true, we'll often assume a trust in various people or objects to work for us in ways that they were never intended to. Eventually, we find ourselves again and again confused, frustrated, and uncertain of why they keep failing us. And it leaves us insecure because we've given ourselves once again to an idol. Look with me ahead to verse 21. That's why John says, keep yourselves from idols. There's more than one. And if we're willing to be honest and do an inventory, we can see how true this is for us. Here's a helpful way to do initial assessment. Ask yourself, is there anything so central and essential to my life? If I were to lose it, my life would feel hardly worth living. In other words, where am I not as free as the Lord Jesus intends for me to be? It could be material possessions. It could be much like I, I wrestled with for so long and still continue to. The, the uh, approval of others, the way and the opinions of other people. To see how it is that uh, a certain, uh, for years I remember, a title became something that was grand and identified me. There are so many things that we use to identify ourselves with, that we marry ourselves to, we join our hearts around, and we, we expect it to solve our problems for us. We expect it to give us so much more than it ever could. And so when it doesn't do that, when it doesn't fulfill that, we certainly are let down and, uh, and not at peace. Idolatry occurs when we try to build our life and meaning on anything, even a good thing, more than on God. When we expect them to do for us what only God can do, they become idols that enslave us. This is why we need understanding, so that we can recognize idols in our lives and know the one true God who alone is worthy of our trust. Jesus came. John is telling us Jesus came. He's reminding us Jesus came to show us what's true. So we can know and understand where idols dwell in our lives. So we can turn from them and ask him to abide there. Richard Trench once said, no man can be without his God 
If he has not the true God to bless and sustain him, he will have some false God to delude and betray him. John tells us in verse 20, this is why Jesus came. Only God is able to show us what's true and give us understanding to know him. Jesus, the son of God, came to do just that. When we trust in him, he faithfully gives us understanding to know. And he will help us stay away from idols. So main point two. We know that Jesus gives us a true identity. And so I mentioned before some of the things that I even wrestled with when it came to how I identified myself. I can't tell you how many different phases I went through, and some of you probably did in high school. Um, I remember just that that identity crisis period where I went from like the skater phase where I had the flop and skateboard and everything was kind of like, yeah, you know, it was like airwalk shoes and things like that. And then it was, you know, growing my hair out long and pulling in a ponytail because I was going to be like, you know, one of the guys from like Young Guns or something. And and then it was, you know, it, it was so many different things that just kept, you know, then the grunge phase happened in high school. And, and oh, man, that was just a mess, you know. Um, but the reality is, is that um, I continued to try to, to, to give myself to so many idols. I was trying to just dance for them and they wore me out. And then when I tried to grab other things that the world was offering me saying, no, this will actually help cure that feeling. And this will help cure that feeling. This will numb that one. This will help you forget about that. Those two left me high and dry. And so it's important for us to know where our true identity rests. And that's what John tells us here in verse 20 that Jesus does. He says, so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. John knew Jesus to be true because he walked with him during his earthly ministry all the way to his ascension. Look with me here in the second part says, in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus gives us the true identity. And the one thing that's amazing is that there's no separation. It actually, people are going, wait a minute, who's the him that he's talking about? Is it God now? Is it Jesus? And John's saying, yes, because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God. And Jesus, God the Father, and Jesus are one. It kind of harkens back to something that John shared with us in his gospel that Jesus said after Jesus teaches about being the good shepherd and he starts talking about that his sheep know him. He goes in and he starts talking about how he and the father are one. Listen to this in John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29. Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. This is some beautiful imagery that Jesus is giving us because he's saying, if you are my sheep, if you identify yourself with me, you know me, you trust me. I have you. I am the good shepherd and I have you. But not only that, the father has me because we're one and no one can snatch you from the father's hand. We're like doubly secure, eternally secure. And that's the imagery that Jesus has given us. He's saying, put your identity here 
because here is where it's going to be most secure. Everywhere, everywhere else, it's going to fall apart. It's, it's imitation, and it's going to leave you dry. When our kids were much younger, we were given a book by Max Licato called You Are Special. Some of you parents out there may be familiar with it. Um, it's a beautiful little book. Um, and I love the story. It's about the Wemmicks and uh, they're, they're small wooden people called Wemmicks and the Wemmicks were made of wood and were carved by Eli, whose workshop overlooks their village. And all day long, the Wemmicks go around judging others with uh, stars and dots all the time. You get a star if you're you know, doing something noble that they think is noble. You get a dot if they don't like something that you do. And, uh, and so there's this one Wemmick named Punchinello. And he was especially targeted by others with dots. And these labels really hurt Punchinello to his core. And then he meets this girl in town named Lucia. And Lucia was a Wemmick uh, who would get, typically would have gotten all stars. However, every time someone tried to stick a star on Lucia, a star wouldn't stick on her. And so this really brought Punchinello to ask, how that was possible. And she explained how she would go and talk with Eli regularly. Eventually, she convinces Punchinello to go talk with him about everything that he was feeling. And Punchinello goes. And here's the last bit of the conversation in the story. Eli says to Punchinello, the stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. Confused, Punchinello replied, I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled, you will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, as the Wemmick walked out the door, you're special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Just like Punchinello and those to whom John is writing, we too trust our identities to those voices, labels, and objects that lack real and ultimate authority and cannot ascribe to us a true identity that lasts. Just like in this children's story and like those to whom John is writing, we all experience the pressure to fit in or belong. We, we desire to be accepted and for the feelings of insecurity uh, to go away. We long for an identity that holds up despite failures and does not rise or fall on the basis of our own achievements or passing of time. And that's the real beauty of having our truest identity in Christ. It's knowing that our identity is not based on our accomplishments or how you feel or look or on shifting trends, but it's completely on the basis of Christ and his work and his steadfast love for you and I. We need to understand how Jesus gives us a true identity in him. To be in Christ means we have been accepted his sacrifice is payment for our own sin. And, and that means the work's done. It's grace now that we live in and, and love for God, love for Christ. It's a divine exchange. And so like Punchinello, 
We've got to spend time daily with our Father. We've got to spend time daily with our Lord and have him teach us and remind us who we are and our identity before we go and hear any of those other voices that try and compete. And so John reminds us that the Son of God came so that we would have a true identity. The third main point, and I'll have to do this quickly, because we know that Jesus alone gives us eternal life, um, this is why he came. He's the true God and eternal life is what John says. Hope. Jesus came to give us a real and lasting hope. Not only that, a true life that is eternal. We were dead in our sin. We needed life. We needed resurrection. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Hope comes in in Christ. He invades our cynicism. Hope, it quiets our own and other competing voices, and it makes us listen. It's not like our Western American triumphalism that shouts, we beat sin, we beat it up ourselves. No, it's look at what God has done, is doing, and will do for his beloved children. And so eternal life means that we no longer have to dread death. It means that this life now is practice for what's to come. Richard Baxter said this, become so familiar of what God has promised to do that you start seeing rubrics of it now. And I would add, and start participating in it. It's about having an eschatology that lasts, that goes beyond this world. It's the future invading the present. And that's what Jesus coming was all about. He came so that we could see that the future, we have a future that lasts. We should be the first to be convicted about how we're reflecting that beauty and the unity and the care that's in, that, that is in Christ. And so this moves us to become a people who care about caring because we've seen God care for us. He moved in towards us. And that brings us to this final charge. If the Son of God has come, and Jesus is that son, and Jesus is that God, then what are the implications? Well, verse 21 is John's way of wrapping it up quickly. And he just says, I've broken all this down for you in this letter. Why? Jesus is it. And he says, because we know that Jesus came, we must not settle for idols. The son of God has come. I love in the Greek, that this is that the son of god has come the word come is actually a present perfect verb and and it what it means is that this has happened he arrived but with lasting implications and it's it's so cool to see how how john uses this because because of what it implies jesus makes that kind of impact on our lives he comes in he invades our world with his presence to bring us hope and love and grace and power. The lasting implications of his coming. There's also one more thing that we need to notice in verse 20 that's used quite a bit. We. Notice that this message is not to be subjectivized. This work of knowing, understanding, and turning from idols is addressed to the community of believers, God's redeemed children. 
This calls us to deal with one of the most challenging idols of all, ourselves. Dwight Moody once said, I have had more trouble with myself than with any other man I've ever met. How true is that for all of us? In a culture that feeds and promotes our natural propensity towards individualism, selfishness, we need to we need to learn that the gospel is meant to be personalized, but not privatized. We reminds us that we're called to work out our sanctification both privately and together in community, which means we must be ready, willing to be transparent and vulnerable with one another, remembering that grace received should turn into grace given. In conclusion, I want to read once again this Isaiah passage because I, as, as I was looking this up, and um, it's a beautiful way of seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, uh, the, their prophecy of what was to come in, in the coming Messiah and God's promised Messiah and the one who would come and restore those things. Isaiah 30 19 through 22 says, for all, for a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. This is when Jesus, the teacher, comes. All the promises of God find their fulfillment. Taken by so many of the Christ substitutes that are out there for so long, literally bedeviled. God's people, bedeviling God's people, believers are now free to walk in the truth, the light, the faith, the love, the eternal life won for them by the Son of God. John calls us to look to Jesus and know the love and power and hope we have in him and let that motivate us to examine ourselves and see where are we putting our trust that we don't need to anymore and turn from those things. And it means helping one another do that as well. Listen to 1 John 3, what he writes in the same letter, two chapters back. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's his second coming. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Jesus is the one who gives us hope, gives us identity, who frees us from idols and helps us to walk and run with true freedom and knowledge and understanding. In this new year, we need to commit ourselves and look to God and we need to say, Lord, I need time with you. I need time to help me really assess where are those areas that I'm still dragging some of these old idols in, these things that I, I want to anchor myself to. In this new year, let us hear the words of John, the elder apostle, exhorting us. Little children, Jesus is true. Trust and obey him and know that he will help keep you from idols. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are a beautiful and wonderful creator, Lord, who does not make mistakes. And Lord, although we do make plenty of mistakes, Lord, it is not the end of us. You've sent us your son. Jesus came, Lord, that we might have life and have it eternally. We thank you so much that he has finished the work to, to satisfy the judgment that comes with our sin. And we ask you, Lord, now that you would continue to work in our lives, in our hearts, and within our community so that we could continue to move forward and grow in your image, in the image of Christ who has redeemed us, and that we would learn to recognize idols, those things that weigh us down and keep us from, from truly running freely and shining bright in this world where so many are still captivated so enslaved to those idols. We pray that you would give us a heart of love, a love that, that, that comes from the love that we've received. We thank you so much for this time. We thank you that, Lord, by your spirit, even in this virtual platform, we are bound together in unity. We thank you for the healing that's been taking place among our members, and we ask you to continue to heal. And, Lord, we look forward to the day soon where we can come back together in person, face-to-face, and embrace. We thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. Apply it to our lives in Christ's name. Amen.